0: The scripture this morning is from Luke 1:26 to 56. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to, to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and you will give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. This is a long passage. I've got to get through it. <laughs> um, Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High <laughs> will overshadow you, so the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age, People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said come true. And the angel left her. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then went back to her home. This is the word of the Lord.
1: We on? We're good. Thank you so much, Erin. I guess she's gone. Thanks for that reading. Um, Good morning, church. I'm John Baber. I know some of you. Um, We're here at Christ Central, my wife and I, Marianne, and our son, Jackie. Um, I'm a campus minister for RUF at UNC Charlotte, Um, so I'm a pastor who works on the college campus. We're at Christ Central on Sunday mornings and part of this family, so happy to be with y'all this morning. Um, So I'm excited to be with y'all, but I am a little nervous. If you didn't catch it through everything so far, we're talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus today. And even in writing this sermon, and thinking about this passage, there was something in the back of my mind, I was like, hey, be careful, we're not Catholic, right? But don't overdo it, you can't talk about Mary too much. Um, there's something I've internalized, I guess, over the years, that's like, I have to be nervous about talking about Mary. We don't get to do that, only the Catholics can do that. We just talk about Jesus. Um, so that said, I'm actually excited to talk to you all about Mary this morning. As we lead up to Christmas, and to assure you that talking about Mary is, in fact, not just something Catholics get to do. Amen. Amen. Because, you see, we, in a sense, um, there is a sense in which we don't need Mary. That's kind of what some of that comes from for our churches. We don't need a lot of the Bible, really, in a sense, because to be saved, you simply have to believe and and put your faith in and trust in Jesus and his work, right? That's all you need for salvation. But the wonderful thing about God is that he enjoys to give us more than we need. So he gives us a whole collection of books and letters in the Bible that give us this full, beautiful picture of God. He always shows up with more for us. And that's why he gives us this story and this person in Mary. And so again, the book of Luke, we just read, this was Luke 1. Luke 1, like chapter 1, verse 1, it could have started out as, and so Jesus was born, and here's what he started doing, Right? That would have been enough for us to see the life of Jesus and what he does. But God wants us to know something about him through his people, so he gives us the person of Mary. And so what does God want us to learn through Mary? It could be a lot of things, but today I want to talk about three things. First, that Mary was a real mom who had like a real mom energy, uh, a relatable mom energy, Mary was also someone who had a life interwoven with struggle and suffering. And then finally, I want us to see how, despite all of this, Mary had a conquering faith. So, first, how Mary was a real mom, this real mom energy I'm talking about. Uh, Read with me this story. I say read with me, I don't have it up there. Listen to me read to you, or follow along in your Bibles. Uh, John 2, verses 1 through 13. John 2, 1 through 13. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time is yet to come. But his mother told the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. So Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. And when the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then everyone has has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine, but you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. And after the wedding, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. Now, some of y'all maybe heard that story before, the first miracle of Jesus turning water into wine. I used it as a passage for RUF, our college ministry at UNCC. I used it in a sermon this semester. It's a common story about Jesus' first public miracle, And when we talked about in RUF, we we used that story, we talked about it, um, how Jesus used his miracles on earth to show that he was divine and the Son of God. Like that was kind of the core reason he was showing people that he was the Son of God. So here is a miracle to reveal to people who he was. And we talked about in RUF, we talked about how even though while that's like the base level purpose of his miracles, there's something to note about what miracles he chooses to do. What I mean is Jesus could have shown people that he was the son of God, the promised Messiah by just like levitating, right, or flying through the air. He could have shot lasers from his eyes, and people pretty quickly would have been like, yep, I believe, yep. (laughs) Like they would have gotten the message, that guy's different. Jesus could have done countless miracles, different things to show who he was, but he chose to do things like heal the sick, bring the dead to life heal the blind, feed the hungry. He chose to reveal his divinity, his son of godness, by helping people who were poor and suffering. But he also does something different here in this story, in John 2. He could have stolen the show, we're at a wedding party, he could have stolen the show, pulled like a rabbit out of his hat. Um, He could have snapped his fingers and meatballs rain from the sky. But he chose to do something else, something maybe not as impressive, or with so much of a wow factor, he chose to keep a party going, right? I want to be sensitive to those who've struggled with alcohol abuse themselves, or come from homes and families where alcohol has wreaked havoc, but I do think we have to see here that Jesus chose to show that he was the son of God by keeping a party going, by his joy of celebration, like, despite the alcohol present, God could have done anything for his first miracle, but he chose to do something simple and bless people at a wedding with a good time, right? And now, again, I mentioned, I, I use this in RUF, I've heard this story, uh, I've read this passage for years, countless times, and here's the embarrassing part for me, personally, maybe not for you, but for me, is that I had never noticed Mary's role in this story, glazed over it. Did you catch it at the beginning? Maybe you've seen it. I just, My eyes are just glazed over it. The embarrassing part for me. So the wedding party runs out of wine. And not Jesus, but Mary is the one who notices and decides something needs to be done about it. I'll read verses 3 to 5 again. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Can you like... (laughs) Every time I picture that, it's a little funnier, like that interaction. Like Jesus, or Mary leans over to Jesus and is like, hey, they're out of wine. Like, do your thing. Fix this. Help them out. And Jesus hasn't started performing public miracles yet to show that he's the Christ. So he turns back to her and he's like, mom, it's like not our problem. It's not time for me yet. Chill, relax. It's not time. And this is where, again, the real mom energy, verse 5, but his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Like, she had asked Jesus to do something. He says, no, mom, not right now. And then she turns to the servants and is like, yeah, he's going to help out. <laughs> he's going to listen to me, be ready. This is not like one of the most mom things you've ever read. It's like, son, can you run to the store? No, mom, I don't want to do that. Okay, great, keys are by the door. Right? Mary has this mom energy that feels like mom knows best and she's usually Right? <laughs> And many of us can recognize that from a mile away. Whether it's your mom, your grandma, and I have older sisters. Older sisters can have a mom energy too. And so often when I think of the question, who is Mary? Who is Mary? My mind goes to like this image on a stained glass window. Or some old beautiful painting with a halo over her head, right? Oh, who's Mary? Oh, she was the virgin, but through the Spirit gave birth to Jesus. And while it's all true, it's missing that Mary wasn't just some flat canvas that happened to give birth to Jesus. She was his mother. She was his mama, right? Whenever our son Jackie is, again, Mary and I have a son Jackie. He's 21 months old. And whenever he's kind of, I don't want to say in trouble, kind of pushing the limits a little bit, or maybe he's just like being funny and wants a reaction. We'll do the full name thing. Y'all know the full name thing, Jackie Baber, you know, you've heard that. In the past week, he started responding to Mary and my wife when she says, Jackie Baber. He goes, Mama -er." (laughs) Baber. It's really cute. And he feels comfortable doing that because she's his mama and he knows she loves him. And so that's the first thing I want us to get from Mary today. That she was Jesus' mama. That just because she was chosen by God to give birth to the Son of God, that doesn't mean she wasn't a mom through and through. God calls us to a life of holiness and sacrifice and following him, but he doesn't call us to just leave our personality at the door, right? He wants us. And he wants us to see that Mary was truly the mother of Jesus, who acted like not some holy, unrelatable being on a stained glass window, but she acted like his mom, a real mom. And so this is the first way we can see that Mary was real, relatable, just like us or like someone in our lives. Almost all of us can relate to someone, to seeing someone mom Jesus the way that Mary moms them there. And we can also relate to Mary and her very real struggles that she had. And one of the clear struggles in the life of Mary and Joseph is uh, their very real experience of poverty that we can kind of pick up on through different parts of their story. Most of y'all know the deal with the Christmas story, right? There was no room at the inn, so they had to have their baby in a manger among the animals, And it's funny how we remember this with our nativity scenes um, that we pull out at time. Like, we've got a smiling little cow, right? And a cute little donkey, like, looking at Jesus. They're all looking at Jesus, smiling at him. And this is no, like, no shade to your nativity set. There's nothing... (laughs) I don't want to have everyone... I don't want to tell you to throw away your nativity nativity set, but we, like, romanticize this picture a lot. We personally, my wife and I, we know some folks who are into the... um, the home birth thing, and some of y'all maybe, I'm not, don't hear that, don't hear me like dogging on that, but maybe some of you to each their own, but I can't imagine having kids somewhere other than like a hospital room, and even in a home birth, the people I know who do like home births, um, they're not talking about having a home birth in like a barn with animals, right, but that's what Mary and Joseph did, because they didn't have any other options, they had to give birth around a bunch of gross animals that probably were not smiling at them, probably smelled awful. And they had to do it because they didn't have money or anywhere else to go. Not only, not only could they not afford somewhere else to have their baby, again, not just a baby, the Son of God, but look at this story, this brief little, just a few verses in Luke 2. I say look, again, I'm just going to read it, listen to me. Uh, It's just a few verses, but there's this brief mention of Mary in Luke 2. She's presenting Jesus at the temple, okay? So in the Law of Moses, in the book of Leviticus, there's this process that people are supposed to do, um, this process of purification in which a firstborn male in each family is to be taken to the temple, presented at the temple in like a purification offering, Okay? So basically the law says that soon after a baby's born, the firstborn male, the baby is to be taken to the temple and there's a sacrifice that's supposed to be made to mark the child and the mother clean, okay? And so that's what we're seeing in Luke 2, 23 to 24, which says this, it's just two verses. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they, Mary and Joseph, Offer the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Okay, great. They're supposed to give this sacrifice, this purification thing at the temple um, for Jesus. Job done, right? Move on. We might not notice that passage. It's just a few verses. And here's the thing that we miss today when we read that, or I miss, and I would guess a lot of us miss. Uh, when Luke wrote that story, this brief little just thing about them presenting Jesus He assumed that we would know more about the law of Moses than we do. That we could pick up what he's putting down. So he doesn't give the full context and explanation for what the sacrifice is. But if we go back to the book of Leviticus, where the original law is, we can see what it says and why maybe why Luke included this detail in here. Why he found it significant to mention. See, when we go back to the initial law in Leviticus, it's 12.8. It's one verse we see it says this about the purification sacrifice that Mary and Joseph had just done for Jesus. It says, if a woman cannot afford to bring a lamb for the offering, she must bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons. So again, if a woman can't afford a lamb, then she's to bring two turtle doves or two pigeons. And so what does that show us about Mary and Joseph? When they go to dedicate Jesus for the offering, again, they brought two turtle doves and two young pigeons. This means that not only could they not afford, not only could they not afford that, but they couldn't even afford a lamb for when they had to present Jesus at the temple. And again, this isn't just any baby, this is Jesus, right? The God of the universe made flesh. If my wife, Marianne, this is a weird thing to say, but if my wife Marianne had given birth to the Son of God, and we've got to do this like rite of passage, this sacrificial thing. And we can't afford a lamb, and again, it's the son of God, we're going to ask friends, we're going to ask family, we're going to ask Christ Central for money. We're going to try to scrape enough money together, right? And we're like, this is the son of God. We've got to do it big. We can't, we can't take the cheaper way out. And I want to make clear that I'm making some assumptions here, but if Mary is choosing to only present two turtle doves and two young pigeons, it's be Maybe didn't have anyone she could reliably ask for the money for a lamb from. Whether she was, Yeah, you know, we don't necessarily know, whether she was estranged from friends or family, or whether she just had zero money in her social circles, like generational poverty. Or maybe it was inappropriate in that culture to ask for anything like that, and she felt ashamed. But I'm led to believe that Mary and Joseph were poor, poor, right? That even for the son of God, she wasn't able to bring a lamb for the offering. So why on earth did God not choose someone else to be the mother of Jesus? Who at least had enough money for a lamb. Like there had to be a better option. Why not choose someone who could afford a room. Surrounded by people instead of animals. To give birth to Jesus. In our Luke 1 passage we read, the angel tells Mary that she was a favored woman. She had found favor with God. Why did this woman of all people find favor with God? Now again, I don't want to draw too many conclusions. We can't know everything about God's decision making here because the Bible doesn't give an exact answer to all of this. I don't want to presume too much, but we can clearly see that she didn't find favor with God because she had a lot of money or was well off. If God was looking for a woman who could put the best roof over Jesus' head and get into the best schools, pay for the best home security system, then it seems like he found favor with the wrong woman. But that's not the barometer that God uses to find favor with his people. We can say with confidence that God doesn't choose to set his love on his people because they have it all together or because they're well off. But if we want to consider why God may have found favor with Mary... I would say the best place to look is at her response to the news that she's about to carry the son of God in her belly for nine months. There's a lot of ways to feel about I know pregnancy is a hard topic. Um, so again, I want to be sensitive to those in the room who may be deeply desire a child. I've tried and tried, and it hasn't happened. Um, some people in this room may never want kids. Some people may want kids, but not today. With modern child planning and birth control, choosing when to have kids is a thing that didn't exist when Mary and Joseph were alive. And so I can't speak to whether Mary wanted to have kids yet or not, but I can tell you she wasn't expecting to yet. This was unexpected. I don't know about you, but I get uh, thrown off really easily by changes of plans. I think Mary in the nursing, my wife's in the nursing mother's room, or in the nursery right now, so... She would, she would be saying amen right now, that's for sure. Um, for me, like, it's Tuesday, and our Tuesday night's clear, we don't have any plans, nothing going on, and I start thinking about, okay, tonight we'll just hang out at home, maybe watch a basketball game, maybe we'll have a Christmas movie with the family. It's going to be a great night. And then at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Marian's like, hey, what if we do this thing with friends tonight? I'm like, ah. Oh. I get frustrated, even though it's a good thing. Like, I want to hang out with my friends. But anytime I make a plan and it has to change last minute, it just, it just throws me every time. It can frustrate me. Like, I had a plan I had made, and of course I hadn't communicated it with my wife. There's the issue. We're working through our problems. Um, but I had this plan, and it may have even got me through the work day. Like, oh, we're just going to relax at home. It's going to let me kind of work through today. And this specific plan is going to be great. And when we change it, again, even if it's something better, it can throw off my whole day. Maybe that's you too, or maybe I'm just really fragile. Again, I'm working through it. (laughs) But Mary just had an angel tell her, hey, even though you're a virgin, you're pregnant. The ultimate unexpected change of plans, right? I would have been a mess. And what does Mary do? How does she respond to this massive change of plans? She says in verse 38, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. And she doesn't stop there. In our text, you may have seen mention Mary's relative, Elizabeth. So we didn't. There's more to Elizabeth's story. We didn't read all of it. Um, so Elizabeth one of Mary's relatives who is much older than her. And the Bible says that Elizabeth and her husband, Zechariah, had deeply wanted kids for years, and they weren't able to. And now they were too old to have kids and had lost hope. But the Lord had sent an angel to her and her husband Zechariah and told them that they were going to be pregnant with a son. This was John the Baptist. So Elizabeth and Zechariah, they're overjoyed that despite their many years of trying to have kids, they were finally going to have a child. So again, the angel tells Mary how she's now pregnant with Jesus and then tells her about what's gone on with Elizabeth, her relative, And what does Mary do? She takes off to meet with Elizabeth. And when she's with Elizabeth, she sings this song, and I'll read it again, starting in verse 46. She gets to Elizabeth. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one's holy, he's done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He's scattered the proud and haughty ones. He's brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful, for he had made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. It's like a beautiful song, incredible picture. Mary paints with her words. And I actually saw a, uh, I saw a tweet recently about this passage <laughs> uh, where a Christian writer, Caitlin Scheiss, she joked that, this is it's really funny to me, she says, Advent is a good time to remember that, quote, biblical womanhood must include the scene in Luke 1 when two pregnant women celebrate their new motherhood by passionately discussing the overthrow of every earthly empire. She was part joking, but also, that's true. That's what happened. Two women, both unexpectedly pregnant, getting together to talk about how incredible God is and how he's going to bring this whole thing down. (laughs) Mary, out of nowhere, finds out she's pregnant with the Son of God and then runs off to her relative's house, who's also pregnant and sings. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He's brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. The poor and humble Mary, in celebrating God and what he's done, immediately goes with singing about God's power. How he fills the hungry and sends away the rich. How he brings down earthly powers that exist and he lifts up the hurting. So again we ask, did God make a mistake in choosing the poor and lowly Mary to be the mother of Jesus. What was he thinking? In her book, Jesus Through the Eyes of Women, Rebecca McCollin writes, Mary prophesies that through Jesus, the Lord would exalt the poor at the expense of the rich. When she lays Jesus in an improvised crib in a manger, she witnesses the pivot point of this reversal. As the greatest king in history, was wrapped up in her poverty. Jesus' poor birth is not an accident, it's a sign. So did God make a mistake in choosing Mary? Of course not. Even though according to everything we know about what it takes to raise a child, how to care for them properly, how much money and good health care can make a big difference in raising a child and keeping them healthy, despite all of that, God intentionally chose Mary. Mary. This woman who was on the fringes of society, who had no, seemingly no money or real resources, God chose her to raise his son. Someone who wasn't just poor, who was likely uneducated as well. God could have chosen someone who had access to the best schooling, where Jesus would learn about the world and Jesus would learn about multiple languages so he could better lead and communicate with people, right? If he's supposed to be the savior of the world, then that'd make sense. Give him the best education. Or God could have chosen a priestly family where Jesus would grow up, being taught by religious professionals like me, learning about the Bible and the holiness of God. What a great fit. God could have chosen a royal family to give birth to Jesus. Like if Jesus was to come and be the savior of the world, to break the chains of bondage, to bring down princes from their thrones, God should have chosen some kind of princess to be the mother of Jesus, not Mary. Straight up, there were so many better options than Mary. Right, women who would have made so much more practical sense to be the mother of the Son of God. So what did Mary have that they didn't? She had a conquering faith. The world had been difficult on her. It had been a real struggle. And she had learned to depend totally on her God in those times. Mary was someone who, when hearing that she was pregnant with the Savior of the world, she didn't begin prepping to have the best lamb ready for a sacrifice. She didn't start working to make sure the baby room was ready and perfect. No offense. But she goes to her friend and starts singing about how holy God is, how merciful he is, how he has and is going to destroy earthly kingdom, how he's going to fill the stomachs of the hungry. This is the faith of someone who wasn't accidentally chosen to be the mother of God. This was the perfect candidate to raise Jesus. Jesus being born of Mary instead of some queen or social leader, was him coming to earth intentionally showing us how he's going to flip the script. How he would turn things upside down and how he would come again as wrapped up in Mary's poverty and would go down a cross for her sins to bring her redemption. So when we think about Mary, who Mary is, I want us to remember these things. Not as a saint on a stained glass window, But to remember her momness, her ordinariness, how she said, hey, son, you need to take care of this. And when he said no, she probably gave him a look like this, like, really? (laughs) And then said, hey, I'll be ready if when he does what I just told him to do. Remember that Mary was a normal mom. And remember that she wasn't the best equipped financially or with her education or with her social status or anything else. By every worldly metric we have, she wasn't the best choice to raise the Son of God. But it's because of her lack of these things and because of her humility and faith in the Lord that made her the perfect mother to Jesus. So to everyone in this room today, especially the women in this room, I want to humbly encourage us all to remember Mary, who didn't have it all together, who was likely overlooked in her society who probably felt her voice wasn't heard. That she was ignored for being a woman or for being of lowly, worldly status. But God sent his angel to visit her first, not Joseph. God entrusted to her the promise of her pregnancy and then left her fiancé Joseph on like a need-to-know basis. God chose to work through his humble servant, Mary. And why did he choose to do this? Because... Despite everything in the world telling her that she didn't matter, Mary was strong. And again, not in our worldly way of being strong. But Mary was, through her humility and trust in her God, she was strong in her faith. Because Mary was someone who would be told that she was going to give birth to the Son of God, and again, no offense to all this, we did all this too, but instead of trying to prepare the baby's room with the cute little animal pictures, which we have at home, or jump in the lottery for the best school, or start learning about the Montessori methods. We have books on Montessori stuff, so we're guilty. Again, no shade to those things. They aren't bad things. Instead of doing all of that, all the things we think of, oh, we've got to prepare for the child coming. Instead of doing all of that, what we think is good and important for our kids, instead Mary would hear the news of her divine pregnancy and run to her relative's house and sing this, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one's holy. He's done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm's done tremendous things. He's scattered the proud and haughty ones. He's brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped His servant Israel remember to be merciful, for He had made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children, forever. So, as we go into Christmas this week, let these words wash over you. Let our strength be the strength of Mary, who, though she had little to nothing, was strong because her faith was strong in a coming Savior who would bring down princes and their thrones and exalt the hungry and fill the exalt the humble, and fill the hungry. So maybe today, maybe you feel like you're on your last legs, not much going for you. Maybe you're dreading the holidays, and you're questioning if you can go on. Maybe you feel like you're crushing in life, and you have it all together, but something still might not feel right. Something's still missing. If you fit either of those categories, or if you just need some prayer, we'll have some leaders in the church be able to talk to you um, In the red chairs in the back, here in a moment. And I want to encourage you to consider the faith of Mary because of the Savior her faith points to. One who's all powerful and all merciful, and yet chose through this seemingly lowly woman to come wrapped up in her poverty to make a way for your sin and your suffering to be nailed on a cross with Jesus, to give you belonging to a new family one that's not marked by worldly status or money or anything like that, but a family marked by suffering together and taking it all to Jesus together. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for this church, for your family you've given us, um, that we come from all over the place, um, that we may identify with Mary in this way or that way. Um, Thank you for the picture that she gives us of a woman who wasn't strong because she was, uh, had all the money or had all the power or anything like that, but was strong because of her faith in you, that I can't even imagine doing what she did. Thank you for that example and for your son, the Savior of the world, the Son of God, for coming to die for our sins to love us as people, this ragtag group that we so often are. And be with us today and this week as we head into Christmas. In your name I pray, amen.